Welcome to season three of Healthcare Reimagined, the Society for Healthcare Innovations podcast series. Our goal is to showcase innovation in the private sector, as well as within provider and payer organizations and government entities. On Healthcare Reimagined, we share strategies from clinicians, entrepreneurs, health system and payer executives, and business and political leaders who have shifted their models to meet the new reality brought on by COVID-19. Welcome to season three, episode four of the Healthcare Reimagined podcast. Today, I am speaking with Yuri Sadakar. Yuri is the CEO and founder of Nudge Health, which integrates lifestyle medicine into provider care by using a combination of human engagement and technology nudges. Yuri received his master's in international development and economics at American University prior to founding Anacam. Prior to Nudge, Yuri served as the CEO and founder of Geneva Health, which exited to Biotel and Philips in 2019. Yuri, thank you for joining us on Healthcare Reimagined. Thank you for having me, Corey. So, Yuri, what inspired you to get into healthcare? I know your background, uh, looking back about a decade, was in economics and international affairs. What led to you kind of exploring the healthcare space? Yeah, honestly, Corey, it was accidental, my entry into healthcare. I became chief revenue officer of a company that was focused in data identity, patient identification, and security. And our focus as a company was both in the financial sector and the healthcare sector, and specifically helping with all the health information exchanges as people were accessing health data. And that's when I got my start and exposure to healthcare at the federal level, at the VA health and human services and CMS level, but it was more on a health IT and security aspect. As I met some key advisors that were brought in, I got exposed to the clinical aspects of healthcare, which were obviously fascinating to me, but I didn't know a lot. And these advisors were clinicians, cardiologists, electrophysiologists, and they began to open up uh, the kimono, if you will, on the clinical aspects of healthcare, which at the time I thought needed some improvement, but I didn't really understand the depth and breadth of all the things that go into healthcare. So I fell into it. I'm really happy I did. And now I consider myself a true healthcare guy. Tell our listeners just a little bit about Nudge and along the way, explain the concept of lifestyle medicine, which not everyone may be familiar with. For me, Nudge started really as part of the thinking in the former company I helped found, which was focused on aggregating data from implantable cardiac devices. So pacemakers, defibrillators, implantable loop recorders, obviously implanted in patients with cardiovascular disease. And what we, we discovered at the last company was that as we began to engage with these patients and help them turn on remote monitoring of these devices at home, we began to learn a lot about these patients, more than just the data that was coming across. Our teams started to learn about the mental health aspects of these patients. Many of them were anxious, depressed, had some type of stress in their life. And that was driving the behavioral or lifestyle choices they were making, you know, not exercising enough, not eating right, isolated, oftentimes sedentary. And that would exacerbate their physical condition. And we were obviously acquiring the physical data. And so that connectivity uh, and that relationship 
was highly apparent to us. And as we discovered, there is an extreme amount of evidence base around the connection between mental, behavioral, and physical health. But really nothing was being done about it, right? And so Nudge really started there. And then personally for me, as I took some time to stay grounded during the pandemic, I started researching and really diving into how the choices that I make over time can impact my health, not only how well I live, but how long I live. And so two numbers I'm going to talk about, I always talk about with our team and I talk about with our customers is 80% and 40%. Uh, 80% of all chronic conditions can be avoided with the proper lifestyle choices. And over 40% of all premature deaths in this country is related to lifestyle choices. So to me, it became pretty evident that lifestyle is the root cause of our health, and we needed to do something about that. It's actually pretty remarkable to me how much chronic disease is within our control. I had Dr. John White on the podcast, who's the chief medical officer of WebMD, who wrote a book about controlling your cancer risk. It turns out that while cancer is the second leading cause of death in the U.S., there are some cancers that you can prevent with lifestyle choices, although not all, it's worth noting. And as you point out, the same is true of chronic disease. Just pivoting a little bit, we know that physical and behavioral health are intertwined. And in the two years that have passed since the COVID outbreak, the number of Americans struggling with anxiety or depression has gone from one in five to one in three. What have you seen in terms of the impact of the nudge framework on the behavioral health of consumers? That's a really powerful statistic, right? Just the, the sheer number of Americans dealing with depression, anxiety, other mental health conditions. And the more important point is that those conditions are drivers on the lifestyle choices they make. In other words, it's not siloed or abstracted, right? It's not siloed that we exercise less or we eat poorly or we, we're socially isolated or we sleep quality and quantity is down when we have mental health issues. The larger learning here is that those two things need to be connected and those two things need to be connected to physical health. And that's the whole approach to the nudge framework is that we cannot just have and treat the patient with on their mental health issues. We can't just instruct them uh, and give them some material on their lifestyle choices and then we can't just treat their physical health with medications and procedures. It's all interconnected. And it has to be done in a way that can be that whole person care can be delivered in lockstep with the provider that's treating the physical disease. Let's say it's cardiovascular disease or diabetes or as cancer, as you mentioned, and that all of those things are interconnected and all of those things need to be worked on. And those interventions need to be brought in for the patient uh, so that they can apply those skills, methodologies, techniques to improve on all those things continuously. And if you can actually do that, then you can drive significant outcomes. And what we're seeing is when we apply this, what we're calling lifestyle medicine framework, right, as an extension of the provider, helping patients with chronic disease, not only is the trust really high, for the patient because it's coming from their own doctor, 
But two, now that we're applying these continuous evidence-based capabilities, we're seeing that depression scores are dramatically dropping, anxiety scores are dramatically dropping, insomnia scores are dramatically dropping in conjunction with the physical markers that are indicators of improved health, like blood pressure scores, weight scores, lipid panel scores. So that's really exciting in terms of our ability to execute the lifestyle medicine thinking that we have. And you, you think it'd be self-evident that physical and behavioral health are connected. If you're too depressed to get out of bed, there's no way you're filling your blood pressure medication. And while the connection between physical and behavioral health is very obvious to anyone that's seen someone who's struggling with a behavioral health condition, for some reason, the move to integrate these two worlds has been pretty slow in healthcare. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it was, it was the same realization for myself, like really getting down to the root cause of how the disease state evolved and how do we deal with it now that you have it. And I think there's two words I would use. One is infrastructure and the second is reimbursement. As I looked at the space and we were building Nudge, there's a lot of mental health solutions, right? And there's really managing the like purely the mental health aspect of a person's care. And then there's a lot of really exciting food as medicine endeavors that are dealing with making sure that diet and nutrition being such a big driver of a person's chronic disease is taken care of. But those in themselves need to be pulled in into a less of a fragmented and episodic care continuum, but it can't be done unless there's the infrastructure to do it, right? And that there's reimbursement that follows it. When those two things aren't available to a provider, no matter how much they know that mental health and lifestyle impact their patient's chronic disease, they're not going to be able to do anything about it because, frankly, they're seeing so many patients, their time is limited, and they're able to do what they can do with the patient in front of them. And so the obvious things about our, about our wellness and well-being are that they are obvious doesn't mean they can be operationalized and turned on. And so our thinking at Nudge is let's partner with the providers and these physicians who are taking care of these patients. Let's focus on the patients with chronic disease and let's make sure that we can inject continuous iterative behavioral, mental, lifestyle interventions, social aspects of health into the provider care, give them the infrastructure to do that and do it in a way that's reimbursable with evidence-based methodologies. And so that whole full turnkey program, which we call our lifestyle medicine program, um, is our direct way of giving the providers both the infrastructure and then the, the reimbursement capability to prescribe this to their patients. It's interesting that we're having this conversation today because I think it was yesterday that I was listening to Dr. Weiner and Dr. Schwartz, who wrote a book called Contextualizing Care. And they speak a lot about how doctors are facing the exact challenges that you just outlined. They put actors into primary care settings in order to measure the doctor's responses and have some degree of consistency when a patient talks about symptoms. And the one they were playing with was the doctor says, hey, how's it going? And the patient will say, well, you know, it's been really tough since I lost my job. And in something like 40% of cases, the next question is, do you have any allergies? And you can hear the doctor in the background <laughs> clicking away, going through the checklist that they have to in every primary care visit. 
And it's not from lack of empathy, but to your point, it's it's a lack of available time and resources where they're seeing so many patients in the course of a day that there are certain things they have to get through and they lack the time to commit the empathy perhaps required to really understand the whole person that's sitting in front of them in a primary care setting. So even when the doctors know that there's more to be done, so what is different about the providers that you're working with or the way in which you're working with them that allows them to commit that time to understand who the person is in front of them and hopefully address the whole person? Great question. And there's three components of my response. The first is doctors, they themselves, that question that you asked, that example that you gave me is a classic situation where they know in the back of their head, in their their mind, when they get that question, there are follow-up questions that will lead to certain stressors that are happening that are impacting their patient's health. If you put yourself in their role, the minute they ask that, it's opening up Pandora's box, right? And there's a series of other questions that either they don't have the time, or if they ask, it's what's now? What now? What, what do I do now? You know, what are the, my resources to be able then to execute on that? And so the, the first thing is, if I ask these questions, who's going to pick up the ball after I see this patient, right? So that goes back to the infrastructure question or uh, component. Now that they have that, the other component of that is, okay, well, how do I make a connection between the patient in front of me and their physical health and all the other things that are going on in their life, their mental health, their lifestyle, the social aspects of health, and how do I bring that to the patient as an extension of me? And then the third thing I should say is, okay, now that I have that capability, right, what are the evidence-based methodologies that I can continue to provide my patient and ensure that all the things that I wanted to talk to him about or her about are being delivered by a team that I trust as a part of my care, right? And that I can have access to that information to then continue to have more relevant, salient conversations with my patient. If you can do those three things, then the physician will get to a point where they say, you know what, I'm really feeling confident about talking about this in a more purposeful way with my patient. And in fact, what we see is, is that you have to really put the, help the, the provider get into a mindset that you're actually selling this. You're actually selling lifestyle and prescribing it. And that it's okay because you have the infrastructure to do it and it will follow that patient and follow you as you care, care for your patient. And so that's really the, the key. And I'll tell you, we have taken some physicians who initially just wanted to monitor blood pressure. And we've heard feedback from the patient saying, you know, my physician views themselves as a lifestyle medicine doctor. And I think that transition is really exciting to see. So what's the process like for a doctor or a practice that wants to partner with you guys? Yeah, Corey, that I think is one of the more exciting things that our solution brings to the table is that there's very little lift from the provider, right? Outside of getting themselves into the mindset that they need to start not just providing instructions to their patient at the end of their consult, but actually prescribing this. So to get started with us, it's pretty easy. You know, begin to identify a cohort of patients that 
you believe need lifestyle medicine, right? That you believe need integrated mental and behavioral health. And obviously, if you're dealing in the primary care or in the specialty care setting like cardiology, there's going to be a lot of patients that need this, right? Um, I would even say the majority of your patients of their patients are going to need this. And then all they have to do is have that conversation with the patient. All they have to do is say, you know, like I stated before, I'm going to bring them back to 80% and 40% numbers. The evidence shows that 80% of your chronic disease can be reverse treated or prevented by the application of proper lifestyle choices. And we all know that by implementing proper lifestyle choices, this will help me monitor your health better. And also I can now with you reduce the risk of future events, right? And so that conversation is really the starting off point for the patient. And then the doctor says, I want you to connect with my team. They will be calling you here shortly. We can enroll right here. And then that enrollment process is where Nudge comes in and picks up with the patient. And then we start our active uh, lifestyle medicine program with them. And the other component of this is we meet the patient where they are, right? So, you know, they have hypertension, they have cardiac disease, they have diabetes. And the source of that is obviously the things going on in their life and the choices they make. And we allow them to tell us, well, where do you think all of this started? Where do you believe we should begin? And oftentimes they'll say, I'm very stressed. I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling lonely, I'm isolated, or I know it has to do with my nutrition, or I'm not exercising. And so for the first time, the patient feels not only, wow, I have a program that's going to work with me in conjunction with my physician, but they're allowing me to tell them where I think the root cause of my situation. So it's really empowering for the patient and really exciting for the provider when we do that. And what sorts of outcomes data have you seen that support the strong impact that these interventions seem to be having on patients? The data is really exciting, the initial data that we're seeing. In the original evidence-based models around this concept called collaborative care, which help take patients with chronic disease like cardiovascular disease and diabetes and comorbidities, mental health comorbidities like depression, anxiety, and that's where all of this evidence base started is that it showed by integrating this mental and behavioral health, they were able to drive down both psychiatric and medical outcome scores. We're seeing the same effect. We're taking patients with chronic disease. Our initial focus has been in cardiology and oncology. And patients who have mental or behavioral lifestyle issues, we're taking those scores down. So we've dropped depression scores by over 45% anxiety scores by over 43%, insomnia scores by over 50% in our patient population. And we've married that with our physiological monitoring scores, blood pressure, weight, their lipid panels. And we're seeing not only uh, maintenance of of many of the scores, but reduction in their scores, right? So it's that whole person analysis, both the mental health, and behavioral health scores are going down, which drive the physical outcomes. The patient feels empowered, which obviously those capabilities that they're 
now, now that they have acquired are then going back and driving back the mental health scores. So, and we're doing that in a shorter time frame than the original evidence base. And so that's really exciting to see those outcomes. So it really, for us, it's a moment where how fast can we get this out to as many providers and as many patients, especially those that don't have access to this type of care pathway. And so I assume there's reimbursement codes around this sort of this treatment that you guys provide outside the walls of primary care. Are doctors seeing the benefit of that as well? How, how do you guys share the savings with your partners? Going back to how do we get started with doctors? We talked about the workflow. They just prescribed this to patients. But the other component of that is, well, doctors are also, you know, provider groups are also, you know, overwhelmed with a ton of apps and uh, technologies coming at them where they have to pay money, right, in order to derive the value of said platform or app. And in this case, they don't have to do that. As you said, there's reimbursement, there's evidence base behind it. It's Medicare approved and backed. In fact, majority of the private payers have adopted the model and many Medicaid programs have adopted the model. And so to get started, they prescribe the patient, we're working with them as an extension of their team. They're collecting uh, the, because they're the, the treating and billing practitioner, and we are collaborating with their teams, they're billing the reimbursement. And then for our work, we're taking a portion of that work. So it's a really exciting initiative because I call it value as a service, right? We are working together on the value when the value has been derived, in this case, reimbursement collected for the work that we have put in together, then and only then will we have a financial exchange, right? And that is really exciting for the provider because then they can say, look, I can turn this on. I don't have to worry about, you know, finding some capital expenditure or operating expenditure to pay you, but it works as I put on patients and we are seeing the care being provided and the outcomes being provided. Then and only then will and as we collect reimbursement, then only then will there be a financial transaction. That's a model that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure it's very refreshing to providers who, as you point out, are often being asked to pay for different point solutions. Are most of your customers today provider groups? Is it hospitals? Who are your customers today? Primarily provider groups. We have a pretty deep background in integrating workflow and not just the service, but all aspects of the workflow, including uh, I talked to you, uh, you know, we, we discussed up front about enrollment, patient engagement, the actual workflow and delivery of the tech-enabled service, the billing aspects, the EMR integration aspects, the population health analytics aspects. So because that was our background in our previous company, we knew that we can bring this type of model. Obviously, if providers felt that it was a compelling service to bring to their patients, we could do it very easily. So yeah, that has been our focus is provider groups. Uh, we are beginning to have discussions with payers because payers are beginning to say, well, you are really, really adept at working with providers. If we can do this in collaboration, we can probably move the needle around the value-based care model. So that's our initial focus. And as we collect more and more data, this does become something very interesting for our payers as well. Well, Yuri, the work that you're doing sounds extremely impactful. So Thank you for what you do, and thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Corey, thank you for your time, and look forward to chatting with you again. 
Thanks for listening to the Healthcare Reimagined podcast. You can learn more about the Society for Healthcare Innovation by visiting our website at shci.org. If you like today's podcast, please click the subscribe button so you can stay up to date with all our latest content.